very much looking forward to this conversation this morning with Trish Flanagan, Executive Director of Building Futures in St. Louis. And, you know, um, I guess I have to be honest and admit that I'm one of those people that complains a lot about the St. Louis public schools. My husband and I lived right in the Del Mar Loop and went by some schools that, you know, had big, fully accredited banners on them when I know for a fact they're not worthy of full accreditation, nor are they actually accredited. And, you know, it's 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 a very troubling situation what's going on in St. Louis public schools. You, however, are someone who's like rolled your sleeves up and decided to do something about it, it would seem. So if you would, please just give us a little background on what is Building Futures and how it came to be. So we opened our doors very organically about 11 years ago. Our founders, Gay and Frank, um, got it started to essentially create an opportunity and fill a vacuum for this kind of high level STEM engineering design build thinking that generally you only see available to kids whose parents are in those fields um, and or who are pretty affluent and can afford auxiliary programs, summer camps, um, or private schools that offer that. So we positioned ourselves in um, to be that avenue for kids that to remove the barriers of cost and um, uh, you know fam- location and just all the things that come with um, with the challenges of poverty, especially the geographic isolation. So. Um, that's the idea. Our kids start in, in at eight years old, um, building with hand tools. And so we walk them through the design build process, just like an engineer or construction folks are familiar with um, the design thinking more on the education side of things, essentially brainstorming, sketching it out, you know, ideation, sketching, um, modeling, and then building it at scale. That is the idea. And what's so profound, I believe, about since I've been here in the short time in in about a year, is that we're talking about really high level thinking skills that we as a society know, can agree on is, you know, the engineers of the world, the scientists of the world. And we're creating that access for kids that are really largely prohibited in so many ways because of the geographic isolation where they live. Um, you know, through the the different ways our neighborhoods have become so segregated um, and then then following the schools and what they're able to provide. So that's what excites me. And essentially, in a nutshell, what we want to do moving forward is to be a pathway for first generation engineers. Nice. So you are in North St. Louis, right? Yes. And how are you how how are you funded then privately funded? We are uh, right currently we're 50-50 philanthropic dollars and philanthropic investments and school fees. So we do charge a fee to the schools. Um, It certainly doesn't cover our operations, but we have to kind of ramp that up so that they get more familiar um, with what we're doing. What we're, I mean, what we're doing, what a lot of programs and what schools find are able to fund and make sense, they are familiar with funding is curriculum. Our kits where, you know, very expensive yeah. kits, very expensive trainers and professional development programs and companies. I mean, if you wanted to be a millionaire, if I wanted to be a millionaire, I'd go open an ed tech company. <laughs> I'd be a millionaire in a year. Yeah. What we are doing is in the trenches, dealing with the behavior, dealing with the trauma, dealing with the violence that these kids, that our kids 
are overcoming and they were just born into this situation. And so it's very powerful for me. You know, my background was a social worker into the, into the, um, into the classroom through Teach for America on the U.S. border in, in Brownsville, Texas, um, wow. and into then school leadership and ultimately starting my own high school. And uh, there's there's so much, as you said, the sort of status quo, the the interest at stake here to can keep things as they are. And I feel like we are really representing the interests of the voiceless, which are these kids. Yeah. And also if they are never exposed to these types of, to architecture or engineering or design build, then, you know, that's, it's not reasonable that by the time they get to, if they can get to college, that's just going to dawn upon them that that's what they've always wanted to do when they've grown around people who are, um, you know, in, in, in a kind of a limited number of jobs in their neighborhood, that tends to be what kids think of as their future, right? So I think just the exposure alone. And so can you give me a couple of examples of like what your students have built? Yeah. So furniture, I've got some alums that actually a Rankin grad, one of our students, uh, one of our alums, he finished his program at Rankin and now is a mechanical engineer at a company, local company. He built furniture that he still has in his bedroom. Um, we built a boat. I is on the other side of the shop, but we actually, for two years, we've had a summer camp, a boat building camp where kids actually built a, a rowboat at scale and, and sailed it in four <laughs> So we made the cover of the post-dispatch two years in a row for that. We That's weren't able good. to pull it together. We have a rocketry camp and actually a whole nother offer, list of offerings, an entrepreneurship camp where kids can actually sell what they've made at the Tower Grove Farmers Market and learn how to promote it, market it, the business side of things to start oh, thinking awesome. about financial literacy as well. Yeah. And then who are your teachers? Do you have people who work full-time as teachers there or how's that work? Yeah. So we, our teachers are a very unique crew. Um, we've got carpenters, we've got experienced classroom teachers, um, artists and whatnot. That's part of, as we build our capacity, that's really something that is a high priority for me is to build that teacher prep because what we're going into are schools that are experiencing such an incredible amount of crisis yeah. and instability from the politics to the funding yep. to the neighborhood. Um, the people, the individuals running these schools and working in these schools are just deserve a gold medal. Yeah. The things outside of that school that then trickle down to them are what, you know, what make things so, so difficult. Um, I want to kind of bounce into, make sure I say, kind of go back to an earlier conversation about workforce development. Yeah. Um, this, when I started here, I thought, you know, when I was being interviewed, I thought, well, this is a win-win. We've got a crazy shortage in the construction industry and the workforce. Um, and we've got kids that could tap into their interest and their abilities at a young age, yeah. um, then create this, this pathway, this structure for them to get out of high school with a career and a resume and internship and experience and actually have a job and not even just a job, but a career, be actual professionals because of the mentoring component of that. So when I got started, I was like, where are the construction companies? And what I got told was, well, we'll come and volunteer for an hour. Yeah. Uh, we'll give you a t-shirt um, or here, come to our career day. And I, I'm kind of to the point now where I don't do career days this yeah. thing about a career day that doesn't do it. If you look at what makes someone become a doctor or any kind of career, not just a job, they have been groomed 
and developed an interest and a passion for that to overcome the obstacles and stick with it. When we call grit, the new trend in yeah. you know, that we talk about in education, you have to invest time in that. Yeah. These, yeah. these programs now that are trying, you know, that we've had now that we've seen to try to create pathways for first-generation college kids, trio, upward bound, college bound, they start in middle school. Yeah. That's great for, and, and that's great. And that's great for the kids that are on level with reading and everything else. But if we're talking about like at scale, all kids being introduced to something, what we're trying to do is take that to the next level and start in second grade. So how does that work? You go into the schools or do the second graders come to you? We go into the schools. So okay. we have programs in our workshop, but generally we get, we reach more kids if we go into the schools. The major challenge there, and this is sort of my ask to your listeners and to our community and to yeah. investors, funders, partners, is that we need to build a workshop space. I mean, you can see behind me, the, we've got 20 foot ceilings. I mean, it's 8,000 square foot. There's, it's at scale, a woodworking shop. We've got mm -hmm. a kiln in here. We've got 3D printers. We've had a kid in here who built their, she, she, she built her own prosthetic arm on a 3D printer. Wow. We need to be able to have the resources to be able to go into a school, set up a shop that feels like a shop. The difference of when a kid, when our kids come to us in our shop, they feel like they are in a different place. Yeah. It's a professional space. There are no intercoms, you know, interrupting a class for five minutes to talk about, you know, going on a, on a field trip. It is a professional space and the kids are really stepping up within three weeks of having our 60 middle school kids coming in this, this last semester from a local school, they walked over within three weeks, four kids talked about being carpenters. <laughs> when I talk to kids in the schools throughout my whole career that I've worked in, to your point, they will tell me, I don't care if they're very, really well off schools, high resource or low resource. Kids always say the same thing. I mean, I worked in the jungle in Honduras. Same thing. Kids will tell you what they want to be when they grow up, whatever their parents are yeah, or whatever occupations that they've come into contact with doctor, nail yeah. person, you know, a, a yeah. cosmetologist, the, the person that does your nails, or guess what? an MBA star. And I yeah. did calculations one day when I was starting the chart, the high school, oh there God. are literally 400 spots in the MBA. Like that's it. That is, that is yes. all you've got. However many teams times 20 people per team. And I'm like, that is a disservice. That is, a, that is an injustice really that yeah. we have, we've set it up as school, as educational leaders, that our kids can, can get out of high school and think that, their whole families think that they're going to, their, their career plan is the NBA. I played serious basketball. I went to St. Joe in St. Louis, played basketball since I was sixth grade year round, played varsity, everything else. If I said that my career plan was to go play professional basketball, my family would have said, <laughs> you need to check yourself. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know that is tragic. I mean, I hear a lot and I, and I talk a lot about rethinking high school, but it seems like your approach is public-private partnership, basically, yeah. right? And because the public the public high schools in St. Louis, you know, they're declining enrollment. They're struggling to deal with all the issues they have to deal with. There's no violence and everything else. So it sounds like they can't be asked then to also create engineering workshops and also right. create all the stuff that you bring in. So we need these public-private partnerships where you offload, you know, you bring the kids out to, to that experience and you can't expect that that you can't expect high schools to provide, but then where does that leave the high school? Like, what is what does it leave their basic role being? Like, keep because I will tell you in St. Louis, the 
according to the test scores, kids are leaving high school, not very college or career ready. So what is their core mission now? Yeah. Well, I think that they're under so many constraints, which is, mm-hmm. you know, why I, I, when I had the opportunity to start my own school from scratch. You started charter school? Yeah. In Arkansas? Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how was and that? What's that? And how was that experience? It's great. I mean, it's called future school. It is, was the right idea at the right time. I visited, I was doing all this research. I had a year contract with a, a, a previous business partner and to come to his town and try to start a school of any kind, just to get yeah. some more um, ideas. And basically there was a monopoly over the district, the same superintendent for 30 years. And again, you know, you, you definitely saw this unidentified, completely unrecognized problems where kids of color, low income students were being sort of like almost ignored. Yeah. Um, as if like, well, the expectations, you're just going to work in fast food. That's what your family's always done. It's like, wow, what a, what a heritage, you know? <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. So I was hired and I was doing this research to add to my own experience. And it was all these buzzwords in education. I mean, education is the second biggest industry in this country to healthcare. Sure. The testing industry that I found as I was doing all this research, this was a couple of years ago, but I'm sure it's probably the same. The testing industry is bigger than the NFL and Hollywood put together. Right, only bigger. Yeah. So, so <laughs> what I found was these, I went out and visited 30, 40 schools in eight states in, in a matter of four months. I was single. I had no kids. I worked like a dog, you yeah. know, all the time. Yeah. But I, the one thing that I found was school leaders that were, that had schools where kids were really engaged, where they could talk to me as a stranger walking into their school and they could tell me what they were doing and why they were there and why it was important. I knew that it was working. And the school leaders all said the ones that were, had schools like that, they said, you got to start from scratch. And it is really tough. I actually took this idea of an internship based high school where the teachers are also advisors. Yeah. So again, b- building that framework that those of us that were born into that, the, the, you know, benefiting from whatever it is, having that mentorship yeah, yeah. in my family, those models, mm-hmm. creating that system in the school at scale. Do you, how, do you think it's feasible to take what you're doing now and, and make it at scale? Like, oh yeah. You do. Oh, yeah. Across yeah. the okay. country. Yeah. So one tangible example of that is in my experience, like career and tech ed programs that are funded federally, and there's a lot of red tape. One of the things that we're able to do, I'm actually a a licensed Missouri teacher. I have my Missouri's teacher's license, but what we're able to do is cut through all that red tape because we are being paid as curriculum. We're being paid as auxiliary, you know, these auxiliary funds, title one money and everything else. So we can get around quickly get into your school and get this shop, get this engineering, this stuff that's been really cut out and removed from schools in the urban areas, as well as rural, rural areas, we could go crazy out, you know, working with kids that are already been introduced to a lot of this stuff. There's just no framework in a lot of these schools to actually do what they're doing. So that's where I tell principals, like, look, we come in, we're not a curriculum box that you, your teachers have to choose if they have time to actually learn how to relearn how to do something, which a lot of teachers don't. Yeah, they have right. already too much. Go, they have too much going on already. So I say we bring our teachers in. They're tradespeople. They are trained, highly trained teachers, highly highly qualified. Not in a traditional sense. Right now, I don't require my teachers to get you know certification yeah. now because we don't need it right now. What yeah. we're focusing on is getting kids that at every level can can put it. We can put a tool in their hand. We can put a piece of paper in their hand. They can start design thinking and by the and ultimately create a pathway so that as they get into those more critical at risk years in high school, where it gets real, the streets yeah. get real 
and yeah. the opportunities to make money and survive become very front of mind for these young adults that we have mentoring programs to connect these kids, help kick down the doors of whatever we need to unions, construction companies, whatever it is, and create an avenue for first generation tradespeople. I mean, I talk to um, fo folks in construction and I say, how many of your employees are first generation? Hardly yeah. no one. None. Exactly. Yeah. So if you want if you want diversity in the workforce, if you want a workforce, you have to completely retool your workforce development, you know, focus. And I will say going back to, you know, on that, what I learned in Arkansas was I should have never called my school a high school. Oh, why? Because people were asking, well, where's your football team? And where's oh, yeah. your yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I said, do you really need that? Because your, tra your trajectory right now is to work, to compete with your mom at Sonic. Yeah. Right. And the parents got it and the grandmas got it, which is who put their neck out on the limb and tried us out and started with us while we were in trailers, which we're not anymore. But I go back to now, you know, I got to the point there and I'm sure it's here as well in Missouri, the workforce development money, I was told by the folks we were working with, I said, this is the time to do it in high school, even yep. earlier to develop this love and hope in education to not feel like by the time you get kids in high school that have been failing and their environment is failing them, that they're just beat down. They are not hopeful. They do not feel confident. They do not feel like they have choices, that you need to start that younger. But even at the high school level, I was saying to the workforce development um, you know, leaders, you need to start with us. These kids have to by law be with us until a certain age. We have these funding streams coming from the state to educate these kids and they want something that's going to be relevant. They want a yep. tool in their hand that they know they can get out and support themselves and maybe get out of an abusive situation at home or even better, just do something cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Old was we can't give, we can't spend more than 25% of our budget on people under 18. I said yeah, well, the latest workforce development bill was directed at people 24 and over people who were like in a career slump and wanted to go back to school, which I think is absolutely wrong. Yeah. I mean, I look at uh, Missouri has declining population, declining K-12 enrollment. Like we were 900 and some thousand in 2009. We're heading towards like 750,000. We have a declining enrollment. Well, the whole country does, but Missouri definitely does. Yeah. So we have fewer kids graduating from high school and fewer of them know how to do math or read or have a skill, they do a college and career readiness calculation. And the last time they published it was like 42% of graduates were college or career ready. So we know that we are graduating more than half of our kids, not college or career ready. And there's fewer of them. That means fewer workers. Like it's, we can see it coming. It doesn't take, you know, you don't have to be a magician to see this coming. It is coming. And I don't think that we're really doing anything to address it. Like the crisis that I think it's going to be because Number one, like, why would companies even want to come to Missouri if we just have few, a smaller and smaller pool of workers all the time? And then yeah. I feel like there is very much, to your point, this circle the wagons approach around the public school systems. And I really think in the rural areas where I have been trying to make this point, like you could go into, we have a ton of very small districts. So a bunch of them are fewer than 100 kids. They have five seniors in high school. You can only teach so many classes, right? When you have eight right. teachers. You're just not going to be able to. And so like a third of our rural high schools don't teach calculus or physics. And I've heard people say out loud, do the kids that live in those areas really need it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Who are you to say, hey, don't. You're saying there's no engineers, there's no pilots, there's no doctors. You're saying right. that is the most um, insulting thing to say to these families, right? That they don't have future engineers. So, you know, 
could you put a group of districts together and have a charter school that focuses on career tech ed or a particular type of it could be ag, could be whatever STEM. I don't know, but it happens in other States and Missouri is very strongly resistant to that. Anything outside the school system. I'm happy that you've been able to break in, but they're very resistant to anything outside of the air quote system trying to come in and take any little piece of it. And it's, it's really working against us. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. And that's where, you know, one of the things I loved about my, the school that we started is that it was, it was based around a win-win for everybody because, you know, in terms of like attracting leadership talent to the town, like their first question is where are my kids going to go to school? And it was like, well, we've got this football team. It's like, well, I want, my kid doesn't play football. You know, they, (laughs) they want to study robotics. Um, so, you know, it is about shaking it up and, and I, you know, I didn't realize I was walking into a political situation when I started a charter school. I, I started it because I was like, well, this makes sense because I don't want to, I actually asked the superintendent, I said, here's this plan. I went and did all this research. Here it is. Here's my plan. It's about internships. He said, go ahead and get started. He thought it was, you know, he thought I don't need to, you know, that's cute. And I'm like, what are you like, you don't have, you don't realize, and that's part of the deal. Right. And this is probably pretty controversial, but a lot of the folks in uh, those, those of us at these very high levels of decision-making and authority, we don't even need to work. Yeah. Yeah. We're sending our kids to private schools or whatever. And it's like education. And this is my work in Africa speaking in Sri Lanka in Honduras in Ireland at, at 19 years old, it was my first teaching gig, is that this is where the money from society has said, we're going to put this money here and no one can touch it. And it's for education. And that's where kids that don't have access to any money or power, that's where they can actually get power. Right. And right. so we have to open that up and make that accessible for people. So to going back to like the idea of a, of a school, I mean, I've thought about, we could have a school based around design build starting in kindergarten Absolutely. Through high school. And I would fill and then have a waiting list. Right. And I also feel like this is just my own little personal beef by not allowing charter schools anywhere outside St. Louis and Kansas City. All those teachers who are entrepreneurial, all the teachers that have the ideas are like, I think I could do this. You know, the KIPP schools were started by two teachers in Texas, but they're like, I just, we think we can do it. All of that entrepreneurial spirit, we squash it. You know what I mean? Like we don't give them an outlet. And so I think a lot of teachers leave the profession because they're like, well, I might as well go to the private sector, you know, and at least I can start a business, right? I did start a business at the school. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I I mean, my first date with my husband, he was telling me he's a um, science and marine biology teacher, biology and marine biology, telling me about basically a school garden, like solar powered on the rooftop that he put together, found the funding for and was told no five times by yeah. the school leader finally took a job at ever better another district where they allowed him to pilot this stuff and he got paid more and that's that i mean that's just how things operate which is another piece of where i'm going where i want to where i'm headed with us is to build the structure the infrastructure pay our teachers better get out of their way give them autonomy yeah. give them resources quit meddling quit interrupting most of all respect them treat them like professionals yeah. Don't it take their time and, and waste it. Don't take their planning period for no reason to check a box so that you can send a piece of paper up the ladder that you've yeah. done all blah, 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 blah. How many eye rolls do I need to see from a teacher? And I was that teacher. And it's like, quit wasting people's time. Right. And why I, you know, as much as some folks might not want to hear what I'm saying or be offended or being like turned off, it's like, I am here for kids. I, I don't care I, if I offend you. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm here about the kids. Like I'm not here to make, to be your best friend. I, I just need money to pay people and keep the wheels going so that these kids can have something. And what drives me to do that is I grew up in a privileged situation, a white middle-class neighborhood. I went to Catholic school out in West County. My parents grew up in the city, but they kept bringing us into North city as a little kid to volunteer, which was a huge gift because it made me see that, Hey, why is there this rich white world and this poor black world? And why is that? And so that problem solving is kind of what got me into this, you know, has been with me, you know, ever since. And then wrapping into then once I kind of got, got into the business world and, you know, grad school and then launching the school and pitching to investors and seeing all that side of things, I thought this is about economic development. If that's what you're interested in, I don't care what you're interested in. This has to look better because I lived out of St. Louis for 20 years and I was just at a talk today and someone was talking about how they're on a plane. They say they're from St. Louis and they kind of, you know, duck and cover, like they're embarrassed. <laughs> and I'm like, look, you know, you can't, you can't hide North city. You know, no. you can't like, you can't just talk about this cool stuff going on in the central West end. Right. And someone that's going to come here, a, a community, a company leader or whoever, whoever, they want to see the whole kit and caboodle. And so like, we have to find a way to rectify the segregation of funding and neighborhoods and everything else in our town. And a good school is what brings families and families brings investment and investment brings uh, banks willing to give loans to Subway or anyone else. Right. Like, so I, my, I've posited this a lot, like a, a, let a good school open. Don't try to, um, the way the public schools keep closing and rearranging kids and all of that. Uh, there was a mayor a few mayors ago who looked at particular neighborhoods where there weren't enough high quality seats, he called them enough. You know, there was not enough school seats in schools where it seemed to be that, uh, kids were learning. So that's where he stuck charter schools. I mean, you can do this strategically. You can see where the need is and you can respond because that's, what's going to, I mean, if you've ever been, you probably have where city garden is, uh, is over by botanical gardens, but that whole neighborhood has been revitalized and has an outstanding charter school in the middle of it. And I don't think that's an accident. You know, we could be more strategic about that. And at the same time, that gives all those kids the opportunity that they would never get otherwise. And while the uh, adults in the system are all fighting about closing schools and whatnot, these kids are starting in kindergarten and I'm not even talking St. Louis. There is in the boot heel, there are school districts where, a child starts kindergarten and goes through 12th grade in a failing district and yeah. they're doing nothing for those children, right? They're, they're distressed communities. It's a failing school district. And we're just like, well, you know, give us more money and we'll fix it. Yeah, or they are. And it's, it hasn't worked. We need something. Now, I, I think one of my immediate reactions to you is you have a ton of energy and you have a ton of optimism and yeah. you, you seem like you uh, don't take no for an answer. So <laughs> I, I believe that there's lots of people out, out there like you, but that's what we need, right? Sometimes it, it sort of goes into that one leader, but I think we could unleash a lot of that entrepreneurship within the public school system if we could just get past some of these barriers. And um, yeah. I love the way you're doing it. I think it's awesome. I just think, you know, that people are like, well, let's train everyone to be HVAC technicians. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, when when uh, politicians say that, they aren't often talking about their own kids, right? No. And like, Let's train my kid to be an HVAC. No, let's put all this stuff in front of kids and let them decide. Great, yeah. be a vet tech or be an, arch uh, an architect. You know, there's all kinds of things that you can do that are alternative pathways to careers that we, you know, we we sort of put it all into shop and cosmetology. There's so many things that um, that kids could be doing. And one thing is, I don't and I don't know what your program is doing on this, but industry recognized credentials. Missouri high school students don't often leave 
with the thing they needed, like right. automotive service excellence, so they could actually go get a job and they could get them in high school or even CNA, certified nursing assistants. Yeah. Somehow they go through these very complex CTE programs where you check all these boxes and you have to do all these things and take these credits and everything. And they leave and they don't even have that recognized credential. And that to me is also a, a big well, missed opportunity. And I think part of, as I look at, you know, strategically, like how do you build the critical mass? Well, you have to have the grandmothers and the grandparents and the parents and all the influencers of these kids and these schools educated and informed on what this is. And so, you know, I, it's one of the things, so there was this in, in you know, I've seen where they, uh, these career tech kind of programs that they oftentimes have at, um, at uh, like community colleges and they're great, you know, CNA, all these other certifications. Yeah. I went to the, the, they launched a brand new one, by the way, in Arkansas, we were the first charter within an hour and uh, at, in Little Rock, the advisors there and, you know, in at the political side of things were like, thought I was nuts. And I, I kind of am, I had no idea what I was getting into going up against, I didn't know I was a fight, you know, I just was like, Hey, this is supposed to be a small scale laboratory that you guys can then use at scale. Well, the policies aren't there to make that happen. The policies actually pit us to fight against each other. But going back, so they ended up raising their millage that they hadn't done in 30 years, got a new superintendent. He came in, raised the millage, got the votes to raise the millage, $130 million. I wow. said, you're welcome. He said, <laughs> what are you talking about? I was like, because well, everyone <laughs> thought it was great until we got here and people were like, you could do something different. Wow, I didn't know that. So anyways, then they used that money to build a career tech program to update their career tech program in the capital improvements. So great brand new building, tons of money going into this thing. And I kept meeting with the leaders saying, how are you going to make this accessible to kids? Yeah. Where is your internship program? And where's your advising program earlier on down the pipeline? Because you're going to get the same kids that would have gone and done this on their own because Absolutely. their dad was a mechanic, their mom, their dad was a plumber or whatever it is. You're not going to get women. You're yeah. not going to get kids of color. Yep. You're not going to get these first generation people into here. And they were like, again, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep doing this. And yeah. So, so, so where do you I, see huh. building futures going? Like what's your goal? Like I'm, you're not in a job interview, but like five-year goal for your program. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, that real, and this is my vision is that we, and to, to the point of, you know, to your question about being scalable, that we are in, let's say five districts, different ones. We're working with urban, you know, kids in at-risk communities. We're working with affluent kids out in the county. We're working with rural kids, whatever it is. But basically we are, you see us, we have a workshop in an elementary school where we work with every student to every week. We're basically a math STEM lab to apply yeah. these concepts, to get them off of the worksheets, out of the textbook and actually into their brains. Yeah. And then you see us in middle school, those same kids then see us in middle school and they're developing these skills. They then get us in high school into our workshops there, where we also have mentors, paid mentors, staff people that are intentionally, uh, intensively working with kids to make sure they get meet deadlines to get into a trade school. They understand who's who in the union to understand how to navigate that system, or they get into four-year colleges, but basically a career pathway where a kid starts with us in second grade and graduates from high school with us. You're doing all the heavy lifting of the school system. That's the, hopefully we can, hopefully, I, you know, I know that they're up against so much. I mean, the thing is, and I told friends of mine that are in, in the, in traditional districts and are leading these traditional districts, 
look, you guys have a ton of red tape and stuff like that. And I just don't have time for that. I don't. Yeah. And now that there's a way that I don't have to do that, I wouldn't last in that environment. I was a, I was a, you know, in the classroom for a very brief amount of time because I just thought there's so many ways to do this better. <laughs> yeah. I think that happens all the time. Well, you know, we spend 15,000 per student. It seems like we ought to be able to free up the money to, to do these kind of things, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you track kids in your programs academic achievement do you have any like yeah well the schools have for us in fact um one of our schools in hazelwood has um seen a growth in their science scores that they attribute to our workshops that's awesome um we are getting our data collection you know again since i've been here we started i mean it's kind of a miracle that we're still here because we started as like a volunteer based program (laughs) and very hard to you know, very tough schools and in tough neighborhoods with a lot. I mean, it's kind of an impossible goal, you know yeah, what I mean? That's, that's great. But I know that the schools in Missouri have to follow up with their high school graduates in the fall to see where everybody went. And um, the percentage going on to four years going down, the percentage in employment's going up. Yeah. Um, I think that there is the opportunity to, I mean, KIPP, which, you know, KIPP is one of the largest charter school networks in the country, and they started um, following their kids. I hate to use the word tracking, following their kids through college. And then they realized that their kids got to college, did okay the first semester, did not do well after that because they didn't have people in their family who had gone to college. So then they didn't know how to register for classes again or how to fill out the FAFSA again. And so they started a KIPP through college program or at least put offices on campus and just sort of realized that, you know, there is that that next step. And now they have hundreds of thousands of alumni. But um, I would just be curious to know, I can only, I believe that you're ca- causing a significant positive in- impact, but it would be certainly interesting to know for sure. Well, oh yeah, the, the, no. And that's my, one of my first goals on day one was we need an alumni network. I need to know where, yeah. you know, and, and this is, this is the they can mentor. Yeah. And this is the challenge that we're all dealing with. So for example, I've got nine, I've got a thousand student names that we were able to put together with um, some of our consultants to put a database together. I emailed them all. I said, Hey, it's me. I'm new. Let's get coffee. I want you guys to come be a part of what we're doing. Six people responded. Why? Mm -hmm. Because cell phones change or emails change or whatever, whatever. So I look at, and this kind of comes from my sort of anthropological social work background, where are the actual strongholds in a community, in a family with, that might be suffering from being torn apart? Grandmas, yeah. the informal networks there. And so this is totally sounds insane off the wall because I've never heard of it before, but I'm looking to build a troop of grannies to advise and become total experts in these fields, uh, these career fields, so that when these, when their kid comes home and says, oh yeah, I don't know. I have this application due or whatever they go. Uh-huh. I'm getting you in the car and I'm dropping your cousins off at your aunt's house. And you're going to turn that application in because I know that if you don't do it today, you're going to lose the scholarship. Da, 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 da. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to do this. And I've seen them do it. I think that's awesome. I shouldn't even say this on the podcast because I don't have the full information. I don't remember. There is a man who does similar work in India and his, one of his major solutions is British grandmothers. Yes, I know. Connects them to British grandmothers, and he just thinks the kind of feedback they get from. I'm a grandmother. I mean, 
Granny's I'm in the cloud. Proud to be part of this group now, but you know that grandmothers, you're like when, whatever the child's doing, they're like, "Oh, that's so interesting. Tell me more." Like that's kind of a grandmother approach too. You know, like he puts together a group of British grandmothers who interact with these kids in India, and I think it's pretty successful. But I think you're onto something there. Um, Granny's well, in the cloud. I think I know who you're talking about. The what grand- is it? Like it's yep. it's like Granny's in the cloud. They yep. like call a conference in. Yep. That's right. I think it's yeah. great. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's a great source in, uh, in networks like uh, in St. Louis. So, you know, love your energy. I think it's awesome. Thank you so much for telling us about this program. If people want more information, where can they go? To our website, um, buildingfuturesstl.org. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. You can call me. I'm call me on my cell, text me on my cell. I won't say it here, but you can, you can definitely find it out. We're a small little uh, rock star team. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Trish. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot.